Hey there, this is Pastor Corey, and welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. After you're done listening, I invite you to connect with us at branchlife.church to make sure you're up to date with everything going on at Branch Life. Want to share what you heard today? Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share this video with someone you want to encourage. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that this presentation helps you connect with Christ and challenges you to reach those around you with the good news of Jesus. This week at Branch Life Church, we're going to close out our Prove It series by asking this question, is God real? And if he's real, is Jesus that God? I'm outside this old abandoned church because just by the very existence of this church, I know that there's something that is true. It's the same thing I know to be true every time I read a book or hear a song or see a painting. You see, just because this building is here, I know that there was a builder. Just like I know that there was an author for every book, there's a composer for every song, and there's a painter for every painting. Who has told the sun when to set and when to rise, the rivers where to flow and the oceans where to roll? Who has put the stars in their place? Who has made you and me? You know what I know to be true because you exist and because I exist? Every time I look at this beautiful and amazing creation, I know that there must be a creator, God. God is real. And if Jesus is that God, if God has revealed himself through the person of Jesus Christ and Jesus being 100% man and 100% God is actually true and we can prove it, well, then God has designed something for you, for your life and for this moment. Today, as we close out our Prove It series, we hope that you will be encouraged to strengthen your relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us here at Branch Life Church as we worship together online. In just a couple of minutes, we're going to talk about principles to live by in crisis. And man, we are in the middle of a crisis. And I think that there's some very encouraging things that God has to say to you today. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, I think God has a message for you. So before we get there, we're going to remind you about what we've been talking about in our Prove It series. This is the wrap-up. This is the conclusion. This is the series finale of our Prove It talk. And everything's been leading up to the answer to this question that we're going to be dealing with today. Is Jesus God? And the way you answer this question makes all the difference in the world. It's been life-changing for me, and I believe it can be life-changing for you. Some of you believe you know the answer to this question. You believe that Jesus is God and that he has changed your life, but you need to be reminded of the power that you have through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope that today you can be reminded and encouraged. And some of you are skeptical. You're wondering about the claims that are made about Jesus, if they're actually true and if they actually happen. So as we get to those principles of of living in crisis, how how do we deal with the days that are in front of us? How are we going to get through this next week? Let's first take a look at how we can answer the question, is Jesus God? If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Titus chapter 2 today. We're also going to mention John 8 and Exodus 3, so you can be ready to to jump into those places. If you're watching on the website, uh, you have access to these Bible verses right there on the online platform. We are so glad you guys are watching us on YouTube, on Facebook, and through our website. And we'd love for you guys to say hi to each other and to keep communicating and connecting all the way through this conversation that we're about to jump into. So we think that there are five ways that we can know that Jesus is God. 
we want to present these five ways and we're not going to spend a lot of time here because these are things that we have been talking about for the last four weeks. I want to encourage you if you have the time and you haven't had a chance to see the other messages in this series, Pastor Scott and Pastor Corey do a great job at answering some of these questions leading up to this proof, leading up to this evidence of how we know why it's not crazy, why it's actually reasonable to believe that Jesus is God, that they're one and the same, and then how that informs our lives, particularly in this time of crisis. So let me remind you of some of the reasons. Three of these you'll have already heard, and two of them are going to be brand new today from Titus chapter 2. The first reason we know Jesus is God, or we can have some confidence in it, is that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. In other words, before Jesus was born, not just days, not just a couple of years, but hundreds and thousands of years before he was born, prophecies have been recorded, particularly in the Old Testament, talking about the coming Messiah, God on earth. Jesus fulfills over 300 of those prophecies. In other words, what those prophecies said are true of the person of Jesus. Now, I want to remind you, when we talked about this a few weeks back, we had the kids go and grab some coins, right? And they grabbed a coin and they dropped it into their coin box or their treasure box or their piggy bank and then blindly reached in to grab a coin out. The chances of them grabbing the same coin that they dropped in are slim. The chances of Jesus actually fulfilling just eight of the prophecies in the Old Testament, them actually being true about him, prophecies like being born of a virgin or being born in Bethlehem or dying on the cross or not having any bones broken, uh, coming from Galilee, being out of Egypt, those kinds of prophecies, of eight of those prophecies just being true about one church person, the chances are like trying to find a coin in a Texas-sized field of coins. One single coin blindly reaching out by chance. It's mathematically impossible, yet that's true about Jesus. Well, how could that be? What's the explanation? If it's not chance, it's got to be divine. And so you take these fulfilled prophecies and you say, wow, that's got some power to it. That's really interesting. And you can dig into that conversation if you go to the Branch Life sermon page anytime. But another way that we believe that Jesus is God is when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus performed over 40 miracles. Now, when we look at miracles, we're not just talking about uh, interesting happenstances or somebody standing on a, on a platform and putting their hand on their forehead and saying, be healed, and all of a sudden their back pain gone or their kidney disease is cured. We're talking about miraculous events that go against the laws of nature. Jesus walked on water. That's miraculous. Transforming water from into wine. When, when Jesus uh, rose somebody from the dead or, or healed someone of blindness or made the lame to walk again, that was miraculous. And Jesus didn't just do one miracle. We have for us recorded over 40 miracles that he did. And Jesus' best friend, John, said Jesus did more than these. I think about the people who were alive during Jesus' time. They knew about these prophecies and they saw them coming true in the person of Jesus. And then they saw the same person doing these miraculous, mind-blowing, physically impossible things in front of hundreds and thousands of people over and over and over and over again. 
How do you explain that? This person, Jesus, is special. He's got power that we don't have. And if he's answering prophecies as a coming Messiah, as God on earth, and then he's got the power of God, might he actually be God? Remember when we talked about this a few weeks back with Pastor Scott, we had the kids draw their favorite miracle that Jesus did and post that online for us. The third way that we have talked about knowing whether or not Jesus is God is we said that Jesus, and this was last Sunday at Easter, rose from the dead. Man, what a great, awesome time we had together celebrating Easter. I know it was weird. I know it was different. I know it didn't feel like any other Easter, but that doesn't make the celebration any less sweet. We had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people view our Easter celebration. And after the fact, through the next few days, every day, more and more people watched online. That's so cool. And we even heard a response online of someone who indicated that they accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior as they watched online last Sunday. I mean, how awesome is that? We get to celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. So last week during our Easter celebration, we talked about how you can know that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And it all boiled down to the fact that there were eyewitnesses, not just a few, but hundreds and thousands of eyewitnesses that testified that Jesus, yes, was dead, but he was also alive after he was dead. Who could do that? Who's the only one that has the power over death? Well, it's God. Now, again, think about the people that were there, that saw and walked and talked with Jesus, the ones that were alive and mingling. As as the word spread through the towns and through the countrysides, through the different countries, that Jesus This man named Jesus, he fulfilled prophecies. The miracle worker that was raising people from the dead and healing the sick, he himself rose from the dead and hundreds and thousands of people saw it. What do you do with that? What do you do with that information? How do you answer the question, is Jesus God? Everyone during the lifetime of Jesus and immediately after had to answer that question. Well, here's what started happening. And it's the fourth way that we can know Jesus is God. Other people claimed Jesus was God. They saw what they saw. They heard what they heard. They experienced what they experienced. And they determined that Jesus was God. And they started telling other people about it. It's pretty incredible. If you start reading in the book of Acts, you'll see people like Peter, Jesus' disciple, and John. And, and Andrew and Stephen and others start talking to crowds about who Jesus was. They would start preaching in front of hundreds of thousands of people. And they would start declaring and telling these stories about Jesus and, and the works that he did and the teachings that he taught. And the Bible says that day after day, thousands were added to the church, which means thousands of people dedicated their lives to following Jesus. Thousands of people would answer the question, Jesus is God. They believed it. They believed it to be true. Now, one person makes an outlandish claim. That doesn't necessarily make it true. There's lots of people who have claimed things or have said things about other people that just aren't true. Like if I would bring my wife over and say, this is my wife, Jenny. She is the president of the United States. You would go, okay. Uh, she's not the president of the United States. 
I, if I said she was the most beautiful person in the world, you would go, yeah, yeah, probably. She is the most beautiful person in the world. So that may be a bad example. But, but I, just because I claim that something's true about someone else doesn't make it true. But thousands and thousands and thousands of people believing the same thing in the immediate moments of Jesus' life and afterwards shows us some incredible, incredible weight to the claims that were being made. What do you do with these thousands of people? Well, either they were all crazy, which is in itself is kind of a crazy claim for a lot of crazy people to believe the same thing that doesn't show craziness. Or they were all lying. Everybody was telling something that was untrue. But for everyone to tell the same lie for no particular reason, for no gain, as a matter of fact, Christians were hunted and persecuted and killed because they believed in Jesus. They weren't given any kind of status. Or they were all lied to. They all were believing something that actually wasn't true. But, but why would they make this claim? Why would there be this lie? And what benefit would people get from it? So the only other way to, thing to conclude is that it's actually true. What these thousands of people believed was truth. That Jesus was God. So there was Jesus' disciples who believed he was God. There was Roman soldiers who believed he was God. There was Jesus' own family members who believed he was God. And then the thousands and thousands and thousands that believed immediately after he died and rose again from the dead. One of those people is named Titus. And he's, he's a part of uh, the storyline of Jesus. And Titus is a, a student of Paul, and Paul wrote Titus a letter, and they were talking about the church and talking about spiritual life. And in Titus's letter, we have this sentence and this claim. We're going to look at this paragraph a little bit more in just a couple of minutes. But here's what is said in Titus chapter 2, in particularly verse 13. It says this, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who did Titus claim Jesus to be? He claimed that Jesus was God and Savior. If you believe that there is a God in this universe, if you believe that there is a higher power, and then you take everything that has been shown about Jesus and you say, that God is found in the person of Jesus, well then Jesus is God and he is our Savior, our great God. So that's what Titus said. Titus, along with thousands of others, claimed that Jesus was God. Either he's lying, either he's crazy, or he's being lied to, or it's true. Now, the fifth way we know that Jesus is God, and it, it's, it's a debated proof, but let's think about this together just for a couple of minutes. Jesus himself claimed he was God. Now, there's some people out there that would tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. And, and they're right in one sense. Jesus didn't go up to every group of people in every crowd when he preached and taught. He didn't start by saying, hello, my name is Jesus and I am God. He didn't go around trumpeting that. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that he preferred to let others speak to the fact that he was God. Instead of him having to say it with his words, he proved it with his life. The prophecies, the miracles, the teaching, and the fact that he rose from the dead. And then others said that Jesus was God. But is it true that Jesus never made the direct claim that he was God? That's not true. 
Jesus taught that he was God. He, he took on the actions and activities of God. Jesus forgave sin. He took on the names of God. He was called by the same names that, that God himself had been called by for generations and generations. And Jesus accepted worship. But Jesus himself also taught directly that he was God. Now, a lot of people say Jesus was a good person or Jesus was just a good teacher or Jesus was a, is a good example to follow. Now, if you believe Jesus was a good person, but you don't believe Jesus is God, you can't believe that he was a good teacher because you would say his main teaching that he was God was wrong. Jesus himself taught that he was God. Now, what do you do with that? Well, there's only a couple explanations. Either he's lying. If Jesus said he was God and he knew he wasn't, well, then that's a lie. And he's trying to deceive mankind. He's trying to make a name for himself or give himself some sort of platform. But because of that claim, Jesus was killed. Because of that claim, his, his life was snuffed out. Humanly speaking, it didn't get him anywhere but dead. So if Jesus was lying, then to what end? Or he was crazy. He actually thought he was God, but he wasn't. He actually thought he could do miraculous things, but he couldn't. But again, we look back at Jesus' life and we say, this aren't the actions of a crazy man. Very intelligent, very astute, and obviously very powerful. And had many people who followed believing that same thing. Or the third option, he's Lord. Either he's lying, or he's a lunatic, or he's a Lord. I'm not the first one to use these three characteristics to try to understand Jesus' claims. Josh McDowell and many other teachers talk about this over and over and over again. But these are the three options that you have to answer the question, is Jesus God? Now, if you believe Jesus is God, then he becomes the Lord of your life. He becomes the, the person that you follow because, yes, I can now know God through Jesus. And Jesus changes everything. In John chapter 8, we have this set statement where Jesus himself claims to be God. In John chapter 8, Jesus is being attacked. He's being pressed by religious leaders, by people, uh, Jewish leaders of that day. And they, they're asking him over and over again, who do you say that you are? Who do you say that you are? Who do you claim to be? And Jesus gives them answer and, and, and story and, and metaphor one after another. And finally, at the very end of the chapter, they say, no, just tell us who you are. Are you Abraham? Are you a leader? Are you a teacher? Are you greater than Abraham? Are you a spirit? Who are you? At the end of the sentence, Jesus says to them, I am. And their reaction is telling. The moment Jesus claimed to be the I am, the Bible says that those religious leaders picked up stones to kill Jesus with. They immediately wanted to kill him. He had to run. He had to get out of there. He had to escape. He had to flee for his life. The Bible says it wasn't time for him to be killed. But why would these, this crowd of people act so immediately and so aggressively at Jesus' answer? When Jesus said, I am, Jesus was making the very specific and direct claim to be equal with God. The I am the all-powerful, the all-sustaining, the self-sustaining, that I don't need anything or anyone to exist. I am, I am, I am, I am means I exist. I am God. 
And because of the story in the Old Testament from Exodus chapter 3, every single one of those religious leaders knew it. I want to explain this a little bit more because this I am statement is so important. When Jesus claimed to be God, that we understand what he was saying when he said it. So let's go outside and I'll talk to you about it a little bit more. Well, in Exodus chapter 3, we see the story that Jesus referred to when he called himself the I am. In Exodus chapter 3, we have the story of Moses. Now, Moses was raised as the prince of Egypt, and the Jewish people were slaves while he was living in the Pharaoh's house, the life of a Pharaoh. But actually, he was a Jewish man. Moses found out that he wasn't Egyptian and that he was Hebrew, and through a series of circumstances, he ended up running away from the palace and running away from fame and from wealth in Egypt, and he found himself in the wilderness, a regular sheep farmer, a goat farmer. And one day while he was out tending his flock, he came across a bush. But this moment would change his life. See, he noticed that the bush was on fire, but that the fire was not consuming the bush. So as he approached the bush, Not knowing what was happening, he was approaching a confrontation with God himself. You see, God had chosen Moses to be the rescuer of the Jewish people. And the story of the Old Testament would unfold. And in just moments, Moses' entire life would change. And God would speak to Moses from this bush in Exodus chapter 3. And ask him to go back to Pharaoh and to have him release his people. And Moses then was to become the leader of the Jewish people as they would leave Egypt and go back to their homeland. Moses was entering uncharted and uncertain territory. He was witnessing the miraculous that God was providing as he spoke to him through this bush. He took off his sandals because he was on holy ground and God said to Moses, I have a mission for you. But Moses said, I'm nobody. I'm nobody. I can't do what you're asking me to do, God. And Moses said, or God said to Moses, you can. And, and so then when Moses said, well, well when I get there and, and the, the Hebrew people ask me, who sent me? What, who should I say sent me? I can't tell them that it was a fire from a bush. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell the people that I am has sent you. That statement, I am, is the ultimate expression of self-existence, of self-sustaining power. In Revelation, we'll hear God referred to as, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am, I am, I simply am, I am existence. Moses, in that moment, heard the ultimate expression of the name of God as I am. Now this story passed down for generations to generations up until the time of Jesus himself. Everybody that Jesus was talking to, everybody that was listening, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the disciples, when they asked Jesus and they came up to him and they said, Jesus, who do you claim to be? Who do you think you are? Are you a prophet? Are you someone 
who's possessed? Are you a spirit? Are you a teacher? Are you a rabbi? Tell us who you say you are. And ultimately, Jesus' answer to that question is, I am. That's why in that moment, those religious leaders picked up stones and were going to kill him for claiming to be God himself. You see, Jesus himself claimed to be the I am, to be God. And they were ready to kill him for it. Moses needed the presence of God in his life. He had no idea what the future was. He didn't know he was going to spend 40 years to the wilderness. He just knew that he had the I am at his side. Why do we need Jesus in our lives? Why do we need Jesus to get through this crisis and through this uncertain time? We don't know what the next 40 years holds, but what we do know is that we have Jesus, the I am, by our side. With the I am, all things are possible. With the I am, we have power, we have strength, we have the ability to live life and conquer death itself. With the I am, we can thrive even in crisis. We're going to end our time together talking about principles to live by in crisis. And when Jesus is your I am, when you have a personal relationship with God himself through the person of Jesus, there are, there are principles that you can live by in crisis. So lean into these principles and know that they come and are possible through a relationship with Jesus, with God, the I am. Man, so once we believe Jesus is God, that really has an impact on everyday life and every situation that we find ourselves. And we as a country, as a world, find ourselves in the midst of a crisis. So what are some principles that we can live by in this crisis? Not just this crisis, but every crisis to come. If you're like most folks, you've probably had moments where you've been overwhelmed, where you've been stressed, where you've been anxious. Moments where you've been fearful, moments where you just wanted to shelter in place, moments where you wanted to burst out of that shelter. How does God, how does knowing that Jesus is God impact our lives today? Well, remember Titus, who we talked about in the last section. Titus was living in a same difficult time. He was going through some of the same difficulties and the same tragedies that all of us face at some point in our lives. And it was during that season that this message was written, where he refers to Jesus as our God and Savior, and we all need saving, don't we not? Let's, let's look at some principles from these verses that we've read together already today. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and the worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Hey, when, when you know that God has appeared through the person of Jesus, you know that you can live upright, self-controlled, godly lives in this present age, in the age that we find ourselves, in the age of even the coronavirus, waiting for our blessed hope. We have hope for the next age to come, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, one and the same who gives himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, there's more than three, but we want to talk about three principles to live by in crisis from this verse today. And principle number one is simply this. Be in awe of your, 
salvation. Not anxious about your situation. When you find yourselves in crisis, when you find yourself dealing with tragedy, with heartbreak, with heartache, with uncertain times, with an unknown future, when your uh, celebrations, when the end of your graduation has been ripped away from you, when your business is falling apart, how do I respond? Be in all of your salvation, not anxious about your situation. What an incredible principle to live by. Think about this. The worst of the worst has already been defeated for you. Sin has already been forgiven and death has already been conquered. And if you believe in Jesus, if you have been saved, then you are free from sin and death. You have freedom in this life and you have life eternal in the next time to come. Be in awe that God chose you. Be in awe that God saved you. Be inspired by it every moment of every day. Be thankful, be humbled, and worship that great God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign God of the universe loves you. He knows your name, and he prepared you for this moment. He is protecting you. He is guarding you. He is walking with you. And that should inspire all. Why is it so important that we worship God in times of crisis? Why is it so important that we don't forsake the assembly of ourselves together each and every week as we come together as a church? Why is it so important that we turn our attention to God's word and to prayer every day? Why, why worship? Why sing? Why give of ourselves to this God? Because that God has already saved you. Whatever you face, whatever situation you find yourself in, is not a problem for God. I think of the great songwriter Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby wrote hundreds and hundreds of worship songs, but she was blind. She was never able to see the words that she was writing on the page, only hear them when they were sung. Fanny Crosby could have been overwhelmed by her situation. She could have found herself sad and regretful. She could have been angry or upset that she was blind, that she couldn't see. But instead, she met Jesus and she was in awe of him. She was thankful for every day and every breath. She even said she was thankful for her blindness because it enabled her to worship God in a unique way, different from anybody else. She was in all of her salvation, not anxious about her situation. Wherever you find yourself now, business leader, homeschool parent, someone battling sickness or illness, someone grieving loss, be in all of your salvation, not overwhelmed by your situation. The second principle that we see right out of Titus chapter 2 is choose godliness every time. When you find yourself in crisis, remember this principle. Choose godliness every time. And yes, you have the power of choose to choose godliness. When we know Jesus is our Savior, listen, we have the ability to renounce godliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. In this crisis, like in other crises, People are turning to 
the world to find cope, to, to cope and to find happiness. Addiction is on the rise. Relapse is on the rise. Even suicide is on the rise. People are turning to the comforts of this world and they're trying to find peace in those areas where peace cannot be found. They're running to worldly answers for problems that have no worldly answers. But when you have Jesus, when you have God, when you can walk with him and talk to him, when you can rest in his power, you don't need anything else to comfort you. There are businessmen throughout the world, throughout the ages of time, that have had the same, same temptation. Do I cut this corner? Do I change this math? Nobody would know if I move some money over this way or hide it from that government agency. I know in my own personal life, the story of a businessman who back in the day was tempted and challenged to cut some corners and and to, to try to take some easy breaks, to do some things that would have been on the line morally, but he chose in the running of his business to honor God every time. And he always erred on the side of godliness. I'm going to do what I know is right, even though it's hard. I'm going to do what I know is right, even though I don't know how the outcome is going to turn out. And you saw in that businessman's decision, in his commitment to put God first in everything, to even in his business have a godly, godly decision-making process, that God blessed that businessman. That God blessed his hands and his work and his efforts. I believe that when you choose godliness every time, not only are you enabling yourself to reap the reward of good consequences, because good choices have good consequences, you are also opening yourself up to the blessing of God. Yes, even in times of crisis. Don't run to worldly passions when it gets hard. Don't don't turn on to the world's emotions. And try to lean on worldly answers for problems that have no worldly answers. Instead, choose godliness and open yourself up to the blessings of God, no matter how hard it is. In this season, in this crisis, will you choose godliness every time? Man, the temptation is going to be there to do the opposite. But don't. Run to God. So those are two principles. Now there's a third one. And we're going to end our entire series with this thought. And I believe that this is an encouragement that I need to hear and that you need to hear. In the very last statement in this section in Titus chapter 2, we see this principle, give up what you want to give others what they need. As Christians, when we've been saved by God, when we're in all of our salvation, when we choose godliness every time, we get to give up what we want to help others, to give others what they need. I mean, it's an incredible privilege to be a son or daughter of God. It's an incredible privilege to know that our eternity is in God's hands. It's incredible to know that everything that we need, everything that we have that comes from God, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Now, what does God tell us to do knowing all things are, all those things are true? He says, get to work. You've been created for a purpose. You have been set here for this day and this time. There is something that God has for you to do in loving your neighbor, 
And God has not told us to go after the things that we want for our own selfish gain. He has told us to give others what they need. And in this crisis, there are people around you who need. And you have the ability to give it to them. Your kids need mom and dad to be present. They need mom and dad to be confident. And they need mom and dad to be leading the way spiritually in the home. Your business needs a godly employee who's faithful at their job, even though they may not get a paycheck at the end of the week. There's a little boy in his school, in his class, named Tommy, his elementary class. And like most elementary class kids, he had worked all year doing reading assignment after reading assignment after reading assignment to get the extra privilege of having a pizza party the last week of school. All the kids who would do this, this reading assignment that took all year long were rewarded by a special pizza party. They took everyone out to their own section of the school and they all got pizza for lunch and they got a, a big congratulations from their teacher. And, and the night before the pizza party, Tommy was telling his parents, don't pack me a lunch. Don't send me with my lunchbox. I don't need it. I've got my pizza party. I earned it. And I'm so excited. There's nothing more in this world that Tommy liked better than a nice, cheesy piece of pizza. That day when Tommy got to school, he was standing next to his friend Sarah, and they were putting all of their stuff into their, into their lunch, into their lockers in their little elementary classroom. And he looked over at Sarah and said, Sarah, I don't have a lunchbox today because I'm getting pizza. I did all my reading assignments. And Sarah was like, oh, that's cool. Thanks. I don't have a lunch either. And he went, oh, are you going to be at the pizza party? And Sarah said, no, no, I, I didn't do the reading assignments, but my mom and dad couldn't give me lunch today. He said, well, are you going to buy lunch in the cafeteria? And, and Sarah said, no, no, we don't, I don't have any more lunch money left, and I, I didn't order anything. So Tommy said, well, what are you going to do for lunch? She goes, well, I, I'm just, I'm not going to have lunch today. Tommy went on with the first half of his day, and he thought about his friend Sarah, and he couldn't stop thinking about her. On his way to lunch, he stopped his teacher, and he said, teacher, teacher, can I give my pizza to somebody else? The teacher thought for a second and said, Tommy, I, I thought this was your pizza that you wanted. And he goes, yeah, I do. I really want pizza. But what I want more is Sarah to have lunch. He gave up what he wanted to somebody else who needed it. That he loved every moment. When we've been called and saved by God, we become a people who are zealous for good works. We love helping others. We love loving our neighbor. God has good work for you to do in this crisis. Get to it. You don't have to. You get to. There is a Sarah in your life that has a need that you can provide for if you just simply give up what you want. It may mean giving financially. It may mean giving time. It may mean giving up security. But as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a principle God has asked us to live by. Give up what you want so that you can give others what they You know, as we conclude this series together, as we wrap up this Prove It series, 
there's a couple of goals that we had in mind. We want you, if you believe in Jesus, to be able to explain why you believe in Jesus to other people, why you believe Jesus is God, why you believe he fulfilled prophecies and did miracles. We think that's super important that you know and understand that your faith is not illogical, it's reasonable. But we also wanted to present this to those of you that may not believe, that may not have a personal relationship with Jesus. And so if you're here today and you do not have an awe of your salvation because you don't know for sure if you're saved, I want to invite you into a personal relationship with Jesus. And at the end of this series, this is what we just simply call a call to action. And if you don't know God as your personal Savior, if you're not sure if you're saved, if you would die and go to heaven today, in this moment, wherever you're watching, you can make sure. Whether you're watching this with us on Sunday or you're watching the rebroadcast at another time, you can put your faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus is God and he gives you the security of knowing that you are saved when you put your faith and trust in him. So how do you get saved? How do you do that? Simply talk to God. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So in the quietness of these moments, you can simply say a prayer like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross and that he rose again from the dead. And I want to ask Jesus into my life to save me. I want to be a follower of Jesus and trust in him for my salvation. Jesus is Lord. And when you pray that prayer, when you believe that, when you confess with that with your mouth, the Bible says that you are saved. If that's a prayer that you've prayed for the first time, would you please let us know, indicate it in the chat section. Let us know, I prayed that prayer. Or in the response card, would you click on that response card and follow up with us? We would love to celebrate with you. And I beg you, I beg you that if you've prayed that prayer, that you would please let us know that you did that. Take that extra step during this time to connect with us so that we can now celebrate with you. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you know why you believe what you believe and you know that Jesus is your Savior, I want to encourage you to live by these principles that make all the difference, these principles that we've taught in now in crisis, to take them and to put them into action. And one of these three principles is something that you need to act on this week. Will you respond in the response card as well? And will you let us know which of these three principles spoke to you the most? Which of these three principles God is saying to you to concentrate on and to think about? Maybe you need to be in awe of your salvation and you need to dig into worship this week. You need to dig into gratitude, that you need to dig into God's word to connect in a greater way to prayer. You need to focus on your connection to God through worship because to be honest, you say, I'm overwhelmed by this situation. And God's saying, Christian, don't be overwhelmed. Be in awe. Maybe you need to be in awe. And your response card say, I need to be in awe of my salvation. Or just simply use the hashtag awe in the comment section or give us the thumbs up. Maybe you're someone that needs to choose good. You've been doing something that you know isn't pleasing to God, or you've been tempted to do something that you know is not pleasing to God. And there's an action or an attitude or even the thought of an action or attitude that you need to confess and you need to make a commitment today to choose godliness every time. To choose godliness every time. If that's you, if that's something that God's speaking to you about, in the, let us know in the response card, hashtag choose godliness in the comment section or just simply give us a thumb up or like. And I want to encourage you to have a time this week where you journal 
where you talk to God about those choices, where you confess things before the Lord, and you just have a time where you communicate with God about those choices in your life that need to change or, or get reinforcements. Call in your friends, your pastors, your, your loved ones and say, hey, this is an area where I need help in. Maybe you're the third person and, and it's time for you to get to work. It's time for you to stop sitting on the sidelines, to stop hoarding your treasures in this world and to start giving to other people emotionally, mentally, physically, financially, giving of yourself in some way to help someone else get something they need. Let me encourage you every day this week to ask one of three questions. What can I do to see a need? What can I do to meet a need? When I ask those questions, I can start seeing needs in the people around me, my husband, my wife, my child, my neighbor, my community. And then once I see the need, I now ask, what can I do to meet the need? And it might not be a big thing, but little acts of kindness go a long way, especially in times of crisis. We hope, guys, that this time that we've had together during this Prove It series has been an encouragement to you. We really ask and strongly encourage everyone who's a regular part of Branch Life Church, everyone who's joining us for the first time live or at the rebroadcast to go to this website and respond. Let us know what God has taught you and talked to you about through this series and through this time together. Let us know if you've made any spiritual decisions and let us know if there's anything that we can be praying for you for as we close out this series. Let me pray together. God and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, that we can live confident lives in all of our salvation, choosing godliness and loving good works because Jesus is God, even in a crisis. Lord, help this week our worship to be sweeter. God, help our choices to be godly and give us the ability to love our neighbors in unique and special ways throughout this time together. God, as we go into this next week as a church and we think about the celebrations that we're going to have, we're going to think about, God, what's next for us. We pray that you would lead and direct in awesome and amazing ways. We love you, God. We pray for protection and for peace. And God, that you would use each and every person who's listening to this broadcast. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.